Welcome back, everyone. This is Josiah with Jonathan, and we are getting ready to start episode three of season two of Exploring Cinema. What, what? And in our hands here, Jonathan and I are trying... <laughs> your, hand, your hands are shaking. Are you okay? I was trying to get a little um, tinkling of the ice cubes. <laughs> okay. I was worried that you were dehydrated, <laughs> low blood sugar. I did run earlier today. Yeah? I have hydrated, so I should be good. You, you, wait, you, come, you show up to my house dressed like that, and you tell me you've been running as well? Oh, yeah. People dressed like that don't run. <laughs> yeah, so what's going on, man? You show up, you look like you uh, belong up in like the Upper West Side in a gallery or something. Yeah, so I went to the mall today, and I went to H&M, and I bought a black turtleneck yeah. that I'm currently wearing. Yeah, well, you're killing Showing it. off. It looks great. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm a big fan. H&M, so that'll probably last about two weeks before it falls apart. Or? <laughs> <laughs> Just I hope kidding. not. Yeah, me too. I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. I've definitely bought clothes from H&M and I like them. But they, yeah, it's incredible. I don't know how they make some of their stuff and sell it so cheap. Like yeah. it's obviously not meant to hold up super long. But they've got shoes that look pretty good, but they cost $15. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what's going on? Will this stay in one piece when I put it on my foot or? Something somewhere or someone is getting exploited. Yeah, there's so there's something wrong <laughs> there's, with that picture. Yeah. There's all that. So yeah, we're having, um, how did how did you pronounce it? Kalimocho. Kalimocho. This was recommended to us by a good friend of ours, Eric Alexander. Traditional Mexican cocktail. It's a, is it traditional? <laughs> Well, I don't know how far it goes back. I think sure. it's kind of old. We'll go with it. It's actually Eric's birthday today, too. So happy birthday, Happy buddy. birthday, Eric. Yeah, happy, um, I don't know how old he is. He looks like Ooh. he's 26, though. Yeah. Yeah. I'd guess 26. Handsome guy. Dapper as fuck, too. Like, when he cleans up and he gets his hair going, he's got, like, a little curl on the forehead. He rocks the earrings, too. Minus the earrings, he looks like he belongs in the 1920s when he puts on a suit. It's really, really debonair. So, happy birthday, Eric. We like your earrings and your hair, and we like your personality. You're a lot of fun to hang out with. Good, good friend. Good friend. In fact, he just helped me change my oil yesterday. It's, like, freezing outside. Wow, cool. He brought over an impact gun, an oil filter wrench. What a guy. guy. Yeah, what a guy. I feel like I'm all over the place here. <laughs> Cali Mocha. So, well, you brought up Eric maybe because he brought up this drink. Yeah. And it seemed crazy to us because it's literally just red wine and Coca-Cola on ice. <laughs> and yes. we've put some lemon in it to make it fancy. But uh, we're about to try this for the first time. So, cheers. Cheers. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. I'm going to try to pretend like I don't know what it's made out of. <laughs> yeah. And the flavor is actually quite good. It can be dangerous. You could down these really fast and easily. I guess it's less alcohol than like a rum and coke. True. A little bit safer. You went specifically with the Pinot Noir, correct? Because you read it somewhere on some website. It was recommended to me by, yes, a recipe I found using the internet service Google. Jonathan, I'm not going to lie. I really like your vibe tonight. I don't know what it is. <laughs> My hair is getting, hair's longer, getting longer too. Your getting longer. The turtleneck. I don't know. No, I just, thanks. I just think you, you you look very... You look like you belong in the village in the 60s. In a good way. Uh, like Greenwich Village. Greenwich Village? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. You probably were a character on Inside Lewin Davis. Maybe this turtleneck will inspire me to start <laughs> writing poetry again. Good. We'll yeah. see. Your turtleneck inspires me to write poetry again. So kind of keeping in the theme of tonight's episode, I think this Cali Mojo fits perfectly with the episode because it is kind of like a random wild card drink. Tell us a little bit about like kind of what we're in store for tonight. This is kind of your idea. Yeah, this is my idea. Idea, and I thought it would be fun for each of us to pick a movie for the other one to watch. A movie that we know the other person hasn't seen. Any movie. So, after some contemplation, actually, I think you knew right away what you wanted. Uh, no, but it was certainly an aha moment. When it clicked, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Nice. I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. Josiah picked SLC Punk for me to watch, and I picked 20th Century Women for Josiah to watch. I, I think you said the idea behind it, too, is to pick a film that neither of us would probably go out 
out of our way to see. Oh, yes. And so I think that rings true. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about SLC Punk. I never would have gotten around to it. Yeah. Because number one, there's not a lot of discourse around it or that I've been a part of. So I think I was familiar with the title, but I had no idea what it was. And if I knew what it was, it's not something I would have sought out. So it was a good fit in that regard. Good. And so with 20th Century Women, that was on my list, but it was way down. Like I, I maybe would have watched it eventually. So I'm glad you suggested it because it made me watch it. Yeah. And I think I'd probably recommended it to you in the past. I knew you hadn't seen it, but I knew that you'd like it. And I knew you'd like SLC Punk because I think everybody likes it. Could be wrong. Please tell me if I am, listeners. So let's dive in. Josiah, what did you think of 20th Century Women? Well, I thought it was a really good film. It's kind of interesting watching that because we actually ended up watching the two movies together back to back. <laughs> and so that was fun. But it was very different tonally following SLC Punk. I'll yeah. say that. And so I chuck 20th Century Women up to a film. Liked it, didn't love it. The characters in that film are definitely worth visiting and following and learning about. But I, it's almost like you were like living in the film, kind of experiencing it, being present with it. It wasn't, to me, overwhelmingly cinematic, I guess. It's a film to be contemplated and sat with rather than it didn't have that kind of viewing experience that I mm-hmm. often look for mm-hmm. with films, you know. Yeah, it's a film of moments. It's a soft film and it, it doesn't have like this overall plot or narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is one to just sit with and it's a low-key experience. Yeah. yeah, and while I enjoyed it, I enjoyed Come On, Come On, I think, uh, another film by Mike Mills. I think I enjoyed that a little bit more. So I did enjoy 20th Century Women. I, I, it's one of those though I don't think I would ever revisit. I don't personally see a need to. What I love about 20th Century Women is the honesty of it, the autobiographical nature of it. I love movies that are very clearly the filmmaker exploring their past, Mm -hmm. their life. So the fact that it maybe doesn't have a lot of excitement or the traditional narrative structure. I just love the characters. I love the setting and just being in that world. There's so many great little moments. All the actors are incredible. Oh yeah. Annette Bening. Absolutely. His mother, incredible. Billy Crudup. Yeah, he was as, great. Yeah, as William, I love his character. It's very charming to me, but it's also really upfront about how life doesn't work out the way you want it to, how relationships are complicated, and life sort of just ends one day. This is Mike Mills' project trying to convey something of his mother. And at the end, he says, I will try to explain who you are to my son one day, and I can't. Mm, yeah. And so it's a beautiful project to me, and I think it's executed perfectly. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that both films we watched had a very like strong sense of time and place. What Southern California town was that in? Santa Barbara. Yeah, Santa Barbara in the 70s. That influenced every shot and every experience and scene in that film. I mean, this is Southern California in the 70s. It was just oozing into the script, into the characters, yeah. into the lighting, even the shots, the cinematography. That was pretty cool. I did feel transported to that. And then SLC Punk, obviously. SLC stands for Salt Lake City in the 80s. It's a very specific. Nobody's making movies about that. <laughs> yeah, I had never seen a movie set in Salt Lake City that I know of. It's cool that someone, again, used their history and experiences in this very specific kind of odd place. And you mentioned a number of times before I even watched this film that it was incredibly autobiographical. I did enjoy that. That's a big thing for me as far as what engages me with a film is a really strong sense of place. Some movies, like, that's the main draw. Like, look at this world. And with 20th Century Women, it's so natural. It feels so authentic to me in a way 
way that most period pieces. Now this is just the 70s, right? Yeah. But even the movies <laughs> yeah. that are set in the 70s sometimes, it's too much. Whatever they're doing, it's like clearly everyone in this scene is wearing a costume. Yeah, it's super over the top. And like everything's brand new. Everything's very colorful. Not worn. Not yeah. Real. I really appreciate that about this film. <laughs> it's so funny considering a 70s film, a period piece. You know, think of like stuffy Victorian era carriages, at, at least before 1950. Yeah. But technically you're right. It's a period piece. 50 years ago. Oh, look at you, Jonathan. You suggested a very serious period piece <laughs> for our film roulette. As an artist, I really, you know, I relate to the 70s. <laughs> yeah, you look like you came from all the 60s anyways. So one thing when I was kind of thinking about the film and Mike Mills in general, the director, I, he also did The Thumbsucker. I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh, goodness. Paul Dano's in it. No, he's not. Sorry. A guy who looks like Paul Dano's in it. Wow, yeah. No, I was thinking that Beginners was his first film, but I did see Thumbsucker in high school. The dentist. Yeah. yeah. So that's about all I remember from it. Honestly, I don't remember a whole lot about it. It's kind of eh, for me. But anyways. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. One thing that's um, struck me about Mike Mills in this film in particular, he seems very interested in the relationship between mother and son. But it's a very fleshed out relationship. So often in films, the portrayal of a mother-son relationship is usually pretty flat, right? Either like the mother is someone to be adored and respected, or the mother is like an adversary that causes some usually male protagonist or anti-hero mm. to act the way they do. And in a 20th century women, uh, what was the kid's name? Jesse? Yeah, well anyways, the young kid, the relationship that he has with his mother, it's complicated. She's great for him. She also dismisses him. He withholds things from her. I just thought it was a very authentic, ultimately reverential look at, at the mother-son relationship. Yeah. Mike Mills seems really interested in that. Uh, you kind of got that in Come On, Come On as well. So yeah. he, he seems very sympathetic to mothers and like the difficulty and the difficult job they have. Sympathetic to mothers and to women in general. Yeah, she. It doesn't paint her as a saint. It's a no. It's a complicated. She's human. Portrait, but ultimately, yes, reverential is a great word. One thing this movie does that it is, I think, pretty unique is there's narration both from the son's point of view and from the mother's point of view, and it goes back and forth, showing their competing perspectives. At one point, I, I'm looking at like these little notes I scribbled during the film, uh -huh. and. At one point I wrote, every time the son shares himself, mom makes it about her. I don't think I like her. Mm. <laughs> But then I wrote later that scene where, oh, he goes out with the um, the young photographer girl who has mm -hmm. cancer. Yeah. Yes, played by Greta Gerwig. Yeah, so he goes out with her and has a good time. And, like, his mom is talking to her about, like, what they did. And she kind of has this moment of clarity where, like, I'll never know that side of him. Yeah. I'll never really get to know, like, what he's thinking and what he's doing. I, I think she's realizing and accepting, like, he's moving on from her. You know, he's growing up. Yeah. They'll have a relationship, but it won't be the same of, like, when kids are young, they tell you everything they're doing or you're, you're involved in every, almost every aspect of their lives, you know. Right. I thought that was really moving. Yeah. And it, it really humanized her. And as a parent, it also, like, struck me as, like, damn, yeah, that's going to happen to me. <laughs> it's really emotional in that respect. And also you see her trying to understand the world as she's getting older, the changing world. And I wrote down something about the feeling of being eclipsed by something that you don't understand. Mm. That's one thing that I really felt. And Mike Mills, kind of like I mentioned before, he does seem very sympathetic to parents, especially mothers, because he himself is also a parent. I'm 20th century women dealt with the mother-son relationship. The mom does play a big role in that film, but ultimately it's, it's I think it's Jesse's. I think I'm getting confused, actually. I think Jesse was come on, come on, kid. <laughs> 
Anyways, let's look this up. Yeah, let's do it. If only there was some way to find out. Okay, so what you all came here for was to figure out the names of these two characters. <laughs> We've done it for you. Jamie is the name of the kid in 20th Century Women, and Jesse is the name of the kid in Come On, Come On. So, as I was saying, in 20th Century Women, the mom, and Benin's character, she's obviously a big part of the film, but I do think it's ultimately Jamie's story. It's mm. primarily told from his perspective. Right. The perspective of the child and how he interacts with the mother. What was interesting to me is like in Come On, Come On, you kind of see a shift, right? It's still very much like the kid is a central character in that film, but it seems the narrative is very parent-centric. Yeah. The parent is agonizing now over the fact that they know kids grow up because they've grown up. You know, the parents have grown up, they've experienced it, and agonizing, how do I help him remember all these amazing things about being young? And so I just thought that was interesting, kind of a shift in perspective. That's a great point. And in his earlier film, Beginners, it's about, it's got Ewan McGregor in it. Okay. He's like, he's like a, I don't know, a 20-somethings, maybe 30 guy who is getting into a serious relationship. It's about that, but also it's about his father. So in that movie, his mother's in it a little bit, but it's about, part of the movie is about his father coming out in old age, coming out as gay. So it's just like interesting seeing him draw from different relationships and pieces of his life in each different movie. Yeah, his filmmaking seems incredibly personal. I mean, I, th I think most storytelling is personal on some level, obviously. Right. People write what they know, but his seems to take it to another level. Yeah, when it's blatantly biographical, I get excited by that. Because I always want something, you know, it can be fiction, it can be narrative, but you still want something about it to feel honest. So 20th Century Women. What do we say? Great film. Great film. <laughs> check it out. <laughs> great film. Go watch it. Go watch it. I think it's check it out. No, let's go watch it. Let's go watch it. 20th Century Women. Great film. Go, go watch, watch it. it. All right, so before we get into uh, SLC Punk, I have some breaking news. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go see Jimmy at World and Dashboard Confessional play a show in Fayetteville, Arkansas in March. Fuck yes. Whoa. Yeah, that wasn't like a sure thing and it just happened. Nice. So, fucking A. Although the guys in SLC Punk will probably beat my ass for listening to that music. But whatever. I'm not a punk. <laughs> so yeah, let's get into SLC Punk a little bit. Obviously, I really like this film. I recommended it to you. But yeah, I'm really curious. What, what were your thoughts on it, Charlie? I thought it was a lot of fun. And it's fitting that we watched it during the Sundance Festival, which is going on right now. Because 22 years ago, it premiered at Sundance. It feels like an old school Sundance film. Yeah. It feels like very, I don't want to say student film, but they were scrapping to put this together I'm sure you know yeah and it was cool to see some 90s actors that I was familiar with mainly Matthew Lillard but even Devin Sawa I which did, character was he the side character that does too much acid <laughs> okay and then later is homeless yeah which that was one of the most poignant scenes for me when the main character has that interaction with this former friend who is in dire straits and maybe not well in the head and realizing like oh where where does this road go what are my options really but yeah Devin Sawa I knew from a little film called Wild America, I believe. <laughs> he starred with, co-starred with We're John, straight 90s with, uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas. <laughs> yeah. I watched that over and over yeah. again. Yeah, again, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, like a 90s, 90s royalty. He was the prince of the 90s. And Matthew Lillard, for those of you who don't know, it's of uh, Scream fame. He was one of the villains in Scream. Later to go on to be in Scooby-Doo. Yes. I'll be right back! <laughs> <laughs> so you thought it was a lot of fun. And it, it was interesting, basically. Basically what it did was it made me, besides being entertaining, is it made me think about anarchism. Mm, yeah. 
which is really interesting. I can sort of relate to it. Sure. It definitely seems like a primarily adolescent thing. Growing up and looking around and not really wanting a piece of whatever is being offered to you by society. It's this stance of basically not wanting to buy into anyone else's projects in life. Kind of seeing the meaninglessness in it. Yeah. And just saying, no, I reject all pursuits, all order, all structure, because they're ultimately BS. Yeah. So it's relatable, but it's also like not tenable. You can't live your life like that for long. And that's kind of the course this movie takes. Yeah, to kind of set the stage, in SLC Punk, Matthew Lillard, who plays Steve-O, and Michael Gorgian, who plays heroin Bob, they consider themselves legit punks. They don't do it for fashion. They do it for anarchy. They just graduated college, and their idea was the best way to get back at the system that brought them up is to like basically waste their educated mind. And so they graduate college, and they just hang out and waste away. And that's they, their life plan. Yeah, they party, which is interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to consider intoxication as a form of rebellion when party culture is just everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that's also just like an American thing. But they do it their own way in their own circles. Yeah, and anarchy and punk is not really represented very much in film. I, I actually, I, as I was thinking about it when we were watching the film, I worked with some kids when I was 16 or 17 at Burger King, and they loved that film. And I don't know if they introduced it to me or not. They might have. They consider themselves serious punks. So it's just, it's interesting to me. Like, people like that exist. <laughs> but of course, in your youth. Yeah, when you need an identity, it is an identity and it isn't. It's like the opting out. We don't fit anywhere else, therefore we're punks. Yeah. And it is and it isn't about the clothes. Yeah. This one kid had a mohawk and he wore a t-shirt that he like, he wrote in uh, electrical tape letters on the t-shirt. Uh-huh. He's a white guy and said, this is what a terrorist looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not wrong, but I, was, I just remember that. I was like, damn. Point taken. This guy's huge. How I'm dressed tonight, I would definitely be a mod. Oh, yeah. Yeah, everybody beats on the mods. Or no, no, sorry. Those Whoa. are the new waivers. Yes. Yeah, the, the punks beat on the mods. Yes, who are like dressed nicely. And, um, <laughs> I don't know how to differentiate. I mean, of course, some of them are simple, like there's the rednecks. So yeah, what you're referring to is there's a scene in SLC Punk where they're all having a party at Steve-O and Bob. Flat. It's like an old industrial room. And then all of a sudden, like, it gets raided by rednecks. They, they start brawling. And then all of a sudden, Steve-O breaks the fourth wall. And he starts describing, like, why we fight. <laughs> That's a perfect example of, like, what I love about that film. There's so many, so much narration. There's so many asides. It's just kind of like a stream of consciousness, almost. Of, like, you're in Steve-O's head. But there's it, there's so much energy to it. And so these rednecks show up to fight. And, and immediately, the next thing you're into is he's breaking down, like, the different tribes of Salt Lake City and why they fight. And then the contradiction within that, like how it contradicts anarchy and punk rock. Uh -huh. It's pretty interesting, I think. But yeah, like you were saying, the rednecks beat the punks, punks beat on the mods, the mods beat on the skinheads, the skinheads beat on the heavy metal guys, <laughs> and the heavy metal guys beat on the new waivers because the new waivers are hippies, I guess, and they don't fight back. <laughs> it's pretty incredible, yeah. And the character, Steve-O, he's delivering a lot of this information to us and through his sides. Yeah. He's always like talking to the camera while people are like partying around him. And stuff. Yeah. And this is serious for him. But the movie kind of knows it's silly, which is crucial. It's certainly a comedy, first and foremost, although I do find it moving towards the end. But I kind of want to go back to what you were talking about, where you, like, you kind of understand his perspective a little bit. I think that's maybe why the film works for young people as well as like me now, because I, I haven't seen it in 20 plus years. So I was really happy to see Like I think it still holds up pretty well. It ultimately, is, it is about a young person coming of age. It's a coming of age story, but it's told through the lens of like anarchy and punk rock in Salt Lake City. So it's, it's unique enough. 
mm-hmm. to where it's not just another tired coming of age story. But it's about this young person who's like trying to find his way in the world and realizing his identity, the system that he's bought into is probably bullshit and coming to terms with that. And I yeah. think that's pertinent to every single person growing up, at least in a westernized society. I think we all try to find our identity and we all ascribe to some certain identity. And as we get older, we start to see all the flaws in it. Yeah, you move past it. Now, not everyone's near as self-aware as Steve. You know, most most people I would say probably bury their head in the sand and like, well, I accept it. I'm just going to go with it. Not question it anymore. You know, where Steve is hyper intelligent and he's constantly not only like espousing what he believes and trying to get other people to agree with him, but also very self-reflective. And so I just think he's a really interesting, hilarious, thoughtful, kind of crazy character. Yeah, thoughtful and unhinged at the same time. Yeah. yeah how many, in, in equal measure. <laughs> how many different times does he like throw a beer can at someone and go, fuck you, for like no reason? Another way to look at it, I think young people, maybe you're not fully an individual yet. And so you choose an identity based on the music you like or whatever. And then at some point you don't need it anymore because you do become more of a fleshed out individual. You, you or at least your sense of individuality is stronger. Yeah. And so you don't need an identity that depends on a specific thing anymore. Interesting. Yeah, that, that seems like maybe the more healthy approach. One thing I wrote too is like this film flexes its muscle. There's such sharp editing. I'm always just impressed when energy can come through a screen. Oh, Jason Siegel's in it too. I wrote down baby Siegel exclamation mark. He plays a square who wears polos and really thick glasses. A square that has the punks or because he can throw it down. He's so hardcore. He beats the shit out of the bouncer. And then he gets really angry and goes off to save the rainforest. <laughs> so another character we need to talk about is is really the secondary character, Devo's best friend, Carol and Bob. Yeah. What's interesting about their friendship is they're in a similar place. They've chosen the same lifestyle, and yet they come from such different backgrounds. And that's really interesting because Stevo comes from wealth. Yeah, it's privileged. And Bob does not. He comes from like an abusive background. But from their different places they have their reasons for seeing like through i don't know if you want to say the american dream but just the traditional path through life the things you're supposed to do in society yeah and i'm glad you bring up Harold and bob what makes this film not just funny uh what drives the film is the relationship between steve-o and bob throughout the film they're both like really consumed with hosers right and being a poser but as the film begins to unfold you find you start to find out that like like steve just in it because of bob bob was tired of getting his ass kicked when he was when he was young he was tired of being a loser and so he kind of took uh, matters in his own hand and like adopted punk as his identity and that got them out of the basement you know they were all playing D in the basement in the film and it got him out that scene kind of illustrates where they came from and steve has a realization like it was always Bob and so that I think that drives the film their relationship their friendship and how they they navigate this like you said untenable position and steve struggling with that because Bob is kind of moving in a different direction than him as so often happens yeah just to think of when you're young maybe you can entertain the idea of existing like they do and not thinking about the future at all not having goals or projects maybe that seems easier than committing to something but after a while that's oppressive the existence without progression of any sort and if you recall in the film like they go and visit Harold and Bob's dad towards the end of the film steve basically like in his narration says like I feel like I learned more about my friend Bob that day than mm-hmm. I had my whole life yeah and they go and visit him and basically his dad is crazy he thinks everyone's out to get him ranting about his piece of the pie and how everyone needs to leave him alone and this is his and ultimately chases his son and, and steve out I wrote down when, when that came I was like I think Bob's dad was what a true anarchist is and what it looks like in old age isolation yeah alone Misery. because you say fuck you to the system and you believe it and you live it 
And sure, I'd like to say fuck you to the system too. I try to in in minor ways, but to like truly be separate from society usually leads to isolation. Yeah, that's a great point. Bob is such a tragic figure. Yeah. So that final scene, heroin Bob, he accidentally overdoses. And it sucks because he's not even a user. He's drunk at a party and he has a headache and someone hands him some pills. Because he's drunk, he just takes them. A whole handful of them because he's Bob. Yeah. And that's the thing. His name was ironic too, his nickname. They called him Heroin Bob because he was terrified of needles yeah. and he never did drugs. And uh, he overdoses. I gotta say, so Matthew Lillard hasn't done really much of anything, I don't think, in his career. You know, he's kind of a bit character in most films he's in. He's usually kind of memorable. He's got a unique face and demeanor. We all know him. Yeah, but he's great for this role and he does. He gives a fantastic performance in this film as a, a thoughtful, antagonistic youth. But in this scene, he... I, I think I told you after the film what I thought, like, I don't think he was acting. He went somewhere. Like, he conjured something up. And, like, when he finds Heroin Bob dead, like, I don't know. I just, I found it powerful to this day. It still, like, affects me. Just, like, the depths of sadness he goes to. He's, like, snivelly and he's snotty. It looks very real. <laughs> and I remember I read about it and the director, he said what they did was they just, they left a camera up for 10 minutes. And Bob just laid there and Matthew Lillard came into the room and that's what they got out of it. When tragedy strikes, when something senseless and easily avoidable happens in life, oftentimes that destroys someone's sense of meaning. And in this case, because Steve-O has been so committed to anarchism and purposelessness, it's like a wake-up call. Rather than like it breaking his sense of meaning, the tragedy is more motivation for him to move on and find something else. He can't stay where he's at without Bob. And that's when that goes to that final scene where those young kids, and he realizes it was always about Bob. I love what he says. Yeah, and fuck all of you for thinking it, but I guess I was nothing more than a trendy-ass poser. <laughs> I love that. I guess once you, um, yeah, once you give it up, you were a poser all along. And I know we just talked about the ending, but I, I, I wanted to mention the beginning. I just love that, the opening line. It says so much about the character and the movie that you're about to get into. See, the thing about me and Bob is that we hated rednecks, because rednecks are America incarnate. And America, well, fuck America. <laughs> And then it opens on them like beating the shit out of some rednecks and running off. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. SLC Punk was a big film for me. I saw it as a teenager. So obviously the alienation aspect resonated with me. Yeah. The outsider aspect resonated with me. You know, I never consider myself a punk, but I kind of sympathized with a lot of those ideas. You know, aside from that, kind of as I've talked about on the show before, some of those like 90s indie films were huge for me because it showed me that there was a whole other world of cinema and film out there. Right. Outside of Hollywood and the mainstream. And so films like SLC Punk got me very interested in uncovering those alternative avenues for consuming and exploring cinema. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm glad I could share that with you. Yeah, this was great. We should probably revisit this again. And Yeah, it could be like a mainstay every season. All right, so tune in next season for uh, Cinema Roulette. <laughs> when I make Josiah watch Pitch Perfect 2. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a movie that I hated. I can't right now. <laughs> my mind's just full of Pitch Perfect 2. Uh, but SLC Punk. Great movie. Go watch it. Oh, I was going to say, uh, probably I was going to say this at the beginning. Yeah. I just forgot. But um, while we were chit-chatting. But I watched The Last Duel last night. Okay. It's the Ridley one, the, Scott's movie. Yeah, the, the film that Millennials ruined, according to him. Bombed at the box office. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard that. But, oh, yeah, an old man complained about Millennials. Well... <laughs> <laughs> so also though, and I mean it, it's a great movie, and I wish okay. it, I wish that it had made money. I wish I'd seen it in the theater. But there's a reason I didn't go. As someone who goes and sees all the movies I'm interested in, the trailer was bad. Really? 
I mean, despite having Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and... Adam Driver. Adam Driver, yeah. The trailer did not convey what the movie was about. And the trailer felt like it was making a desperate attempt to sell something right. that it didn't know how to sell. I just got this vibe that, oh, that's one to skip. But no, it's on HBO Max now, so I just wanted to recommend it as something to stream. Awesome. It's really good. The trailer was probably made by a millennial because it ruined the film. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, thanks for the recommendation. I guess while we're on it, I'll recommend something to Do it. But have you seen The Alpinist? So it's a climbing documentary in the same vein as Free Solo. If you've seen Free Solo, are you familiar with it? Yes, I did see it. Great. Great documentary. Terrifying. Yeah. The guy that Free Solo was about, I don't remember his name, he's in this documentary like being interviewed about this kid the documentary's about. Because he's like... Wonderkind? Yeah. The Free Solo guy is a big fan. And he's like, what he does is insane. I wouldn't do that. Interesting. <laughs> So I highly recommend it. It's intense, like Free Solo. Probably not quite as narrative-driven. You know, Free Solo was very much still about the climber and his coming to terms with, like, the relationship that he was in. So there, there was some human interest. And there's yeah. human interest in this as well. But it's really good. If you liked Free Solo, check out The Alpinist. Well, John, it was good to get back, discuss film, record. Once again, check us out on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you, you listen to podcasts. Please give us a, a follow and check out our Instagram account. We'll probably post some pictures of this amazing dream. Yeah, and you can make your own, very own Cowling Mojos at home. I'm Josiah. And I'm Jonathan. And you all keep exploring. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.